Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the City of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. Yes, it is you, Jesus, that changes everything. I'm reminded on this Valentine's this morning, if you're online or here in person, we're so glad you're here. I'm looking at, I'm looking at my, uh, my wedding ring. It's Valentine's Day, and it, it, it broke this week. It's, it's split. It's two medals. I got this 25 years ago. My wife got it for me, and I chose it because there's two medals, one platinum and one gold, and you're not supposed to put two types of metal together. But somehow these Germans invented a ring that could bond different types of metal together. And I believe like when we're singing a song like this, it's also Jesus that saved our marriage, has healed our marriage, and continues to hold our marriage together. And so like um, it's Valentine's, and Valentine's isn't easy for everyone. Um, And so I just want to let you know that i got a broken ring, but I've got a good Jesus. And he's a healing Jesus. And he's a saving Jesus. He's a redeeming Jesus. He's a conquering Jesus. And so wherever you are, here in the tent or at home, uh, just know that we're serving a, a good God that, that loves you deeply. And we're so glad you're part of Refuge. So hey, will you give uh, the worship team a little encouragement? And, uh, and while you're doing that, will you um, maybe uh, on Valentine's Day just do a little heart thing like this and, and fist bump someone or whatever, elbow bump, but keep your masks on. And let's just say hi to the person around you. And I'm going to jump into announcements here in a second. Thank you, guys. That was awesome. Thank you so much. You know, this, uh, this church only exists by the generosity of the, of the people like you, the people online that give and the people here that give. And so we just thank you for your generosity. Thank you for how you give, and we continue to serve this community. God is up to some great things in refuge, and we continue to see new life and new faces and uh, continue to see growth. And we even joke about it in our meetings. You know, we, we're televangelists because our, our message is going around the world. So who would have thought about a year ago that uh, refuge... Brenton Fessler would be the lead televangelist at Refuge Church, and and I get to support him a little bit too. So I think we need better slick back hair. I think we need silk suits. I don't know. Um, I I think we need to pull something out to make the televangelist thing uh, come together a little better. But um, this week we have something uh, awesome happening on Wednesday. It's uh, Ash Wednesday. Um, which is kind of part of that liturgical thing that we follow. But uh, we're going to do a worship night. So if you're craving in-person worship uh, like I am, uh, come join us. We've got a great uh, worship night planned for you. And that's at uh, 7 o'clock. So we'll see you February 17th at 7 o'clock, and that will be a great night. Um, also, I should note for my, our online community, so I'm going to talk to one of these. I'll talk to both these cameras at the same time. I'm not sure who's looking at me. But um, we have a new platform. Um, so we're still on Facebook, and we're still 
still on YouTube. You're probably watching us there, um, either live or, or maybe sometime in the future. But uh, we're launching um, today, and so you could even, if you're at home or even want to now, um, live.refugeoc.com. It's an online platform that is web-based. It has little breakout rooms for prayer um, and questions and conversations, but it's just a great way to interact with a service off, off of Facebook and um, off of YouTube. And so check it out, live.refugeoc.com. We're excited about um, that platform. So um, I don't have a lot of messages. If, if you want to connect with us, uh, there might be a connect card that you can you know, jump in on QR code if you're here. Um, uh, I think that's about it. So hey, um, today's a great day. You know why it's a great day? Because um, one, Pastor Brenton gets a, gets a day off because he works so hard. But two, um, we have an amazing in our community that goes to refuge. She's not just visiting here. She actually makes this our home church when she's not visiting other churches. Um, Dr. Joy Qualls today has a message for us. I'm excited for you because I know a little bit about what she's going to share. And so um, if you're at home, get your Bibles out. And here, get your Bibles out, get your phones out. And I want to invite Dr. Joy Qualls up. If you'll just give her a big hand. Thank you. You're awesome. Thank you. Good morning, Refuge. Morning, family. Uh, and, I, and I add family to that because we found out this morning that the roads in Nashville turned to ice overnight and our family could not get out to church. And so I said, well, hey, you can tune into church this morning. So I hope our family in Nashville uh, is able to tune in despite the, the ice. And I'm looking out at the sunshine saying, thank you, Jesus. I'm in Southern California today. <laughs> this is a unique day in the church calendar, not just that it's sunny and, and beautiful here, um, but today is a double feast day. That doesn't happen very often in the church calendar. So it's the Feast of St. Valentine uh, today, obviously, Valentine's Day. Um, did a little reading on St. Valentine this week. We, we would probably look differently uh, at Valentine's Day if we celebrated it in the way that St. Valentine did. He got clubbed to death and later beheaded. So perhaps um, that's a unique way to show our love, right? Um, but the Feast of St. Valentine today, it is also the Feast of the Transfiguration, which is where we're going to focus um, our attention today. But I have to just say that in the last couple of years of following this calendar, this this liturgical space that we've entered into, this cycle of the church, it has brought a rhythm to my life and, and a peace to the way I understand thousands of years of church history culminating into this moment. And it grounds me in this idea that perhaps we're laying another layer of foundation for the church that is to come, perhaps even thousands of years from now. And it makes us feel... Um, not so alone in this moment. It makes us feel not so unique in this moment. And it relieves a little bit of the pressure that like perhaps we're supposed to bring this one message for this one time when the reality is we're joining together with the history of the church, with those who are worshiping alongside us today. And it makes the concept of a feast seem so much more exciting. And so I hope we feast today on this idea of the transfiguration. It is the final week of the epiphany. Uh, Ash Wednesday is this week, and we enter into the season of Lent. And the season of Lent, like the season of Advent, 
can be a season of darkness. It can be a season of heaviness. And now I, we're Pentecostals, right? That's our tradition. So we are resurrection people. And sometimes we like to jump over all of this stuff just to get to resurrection. But I think the Lord has something for us in this space between what is and what is to come. And that's transfiguration. So I want to tell you a little story. Um, it's one of my favorite stories. We are we are 16 months out um, from the passing of my sweet mama, and I'm now starting to see moments during that journey that, that bring me such peace, and I want to share one of those stories with you today. It's one of my favorites. Uh, it had been a long time in the hospital, and we were starting to take, um, uh, well, shifts. That's what we called them. We knew when the nurses came in and when they went out, because that's when we came in and when we went out. And one early morning, as we walked into the hospital, one of the nurses pulled me aside. And I thought, oh dear, <laughs> something's wrong. You know, something happened in the night. And she's like, no, no, no. I got to ask you a question. And I said, well, is, you know, is my mom okay? And she's like, yeah, 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 your mom's fine. I got to ask you a question about something that happened. And I was like, okay. And she said, well, all right, let me preface this. She said, I know you're religious, but I'm Lutheran. <laughs> so that one's for Sean. And I kind of laughed at her, um, and she said, I, I just don't know what to describe what you are, but I'm Lutheran, and I don't understand what happened here, and I need you to help me understand. And I said, okay, okay, well, I'm not Lutheran, so I don't know if I can help you understand, but I'll try. And she said, in the middle of the night, I was sitting at the nurse's station, and all of a sudden, I just thought, Marilyn's room is full of people. But I knew all of you had left. And there's no way you could have come back into the hospital without passing right past me at the nurse's station. But I just couldn't shake it, so I got up. And I went into her room. And when I opened the door, it was dark. And she was the only one there. Of course she was the only one there. But she said, that room was full of people. And she said, I just stood there for a minute because I could feel them moving around me. I could sense their breath on my neck. And it was like the Holy Spirit descended in that moment. I gotta be honest with you, I was super jealous of that sweet nurse. I thought, man, I would have loved to have been there. But I said, that's what we call the great cloud of witnesses. And they're gathering, and they're coming for my mom. And she's going to join them in that space. And it was the greatest moment of comfort. And I turned to that story because it's funny to me, because that sweet girl loves Jesus more than anybody I've ever met in my life. She was raised in such a good, godly family. We would celebrate my mom's life in the big Lutheran church in my community, one of the holiest spaces of my memory as a child. But what she experienced in that hospital room in that night is what we call a liminal space. And liminality is what happens when God gives us a glimpse of the world that we are in right now. And he allows us to see the world that is to come. And, and we can experience those places in many different times in our lives. It doesn't have to be sad moments. It doesn't have to be near-death experiences. When I go to Colorado to my friend Zach's cabin, that's a liminal space for me. It is like heaven is literally touching the earth in that place. 
When I worship in my home church, that's a liminal space for me because the Holy Spirit met me in that place as a child. But every once in a while, God gives us these glimpses and and he allows us to see. And the transfiguration is one of those moments for the disciples who Jesus brings up on the mountaintop. So to understand what's happening in that moment, we got to dig into the entire um, uh, liturgy today, the the entire lectionary today. My my friend um, Chris Green, who is a public theologian at Southeastern University, is a teaching pastor um, at Sanctuary Church in in Tulsa, Oklahoma, has, has challenged me to learn to think about the lectionary as a holistic thing, not just, not just four passages. So I'm going to take him up on his challenge today and see if we can weave the whole thing together. But we're going to start in Mark 9, which is the story of the transfiguration, the story of that liminal space, and then we're going to kind of build around it. So let's read Mark 9, 2 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus appeared transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. And then Elijah and Moses appeared and began to talk with Jesus. The world that was and the world that was to come opened up in front of the eyes of the disciples. And Peter, <laughs> who just a chapter earlier was the first person to declare that Jesus was the Messiah, in his humanity and nervousness says, oh, Rabbi, this is so wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters, quickly, memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say because actually he was terrified. You see, the reality is is that if Jesus and Moses and Elijah were standing here in front of us today, we would be terrified. We wouldn't know what to do if we were sitting in that space between what is and what is to come. And we'd bumble around just like Peter. As confident as he was that Jesus was the Messiah, that moment scared the life out of him just like that moment in the hospital caused that nurse to tremble and everything that she knew about religion and practice suddenly didn't make any sense because the world had broken open. But the point wasn't to build altars there, to stay in that place. So then a cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly beloved son. Listen to him. And just like Jesus' baptism and the dove descending and God himself declaring, this is his beloved son, he says it again. But this time, it's not just a declaration of who Jesus is. It is a declaration of what they were supposed to do. And when they looked again, Moses and Elijah had gone, and there was just Jesus As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And what this passage doesn't tell us, what it would go on to say is that they didn't really know what that meant. What do you mean, risen from the dead? Why would he tell us that? But they did what he said, and they kept the story to themselves. 
So what are we supposed to take from this? What is this supposed to mean? What, what did this moment have to do, not only for Peter and James and John, but what does it have to do for us? Well, to understand that, we have to go back to the Old Testament passage for this week. And the Old Testament passage for this week is the end of the prophet Elijah's life, one of the characters who appears in this transfiguration story. Now, when Elijah's story begins, he's the only prophet left in Israel, and he's actually kind of throwing himself a bit of a pity party about it. Because he's sad that, that this tradition of the prophets is going away, and he's all that's left, and the people of God still don't do what they're supposed to do. But by the time we reach this portion of 2 Kings, there's a host of prophets. God has provided for the people a bevy of, of those to, to speak for him and to serve with him. And then there's, there's one special one, and his name is Elisha. And he becomes sort of the mentee of Elijah. So we pick up the story there. What we're seeing is the prophetic succession between Elijah and Elisha. And one thing that Elisha does in this point of the story is he says to Elijah, I don't want to just be like you. I don't want to just pick up where you left off. I want double. I want double of God's call on my life. I want double of the prophetic imagination with which you operate. I want a double portion. And that sounds really fantastic. That's not, I mean, I'm like, yeah, I want, I want double of all of that. But Elijah says to his protege, you don't really know what you're asking for. You see, because if you want double the blessing, it also comes with double all the other stuff that gets to the blessing. What comes with the mantle of God's grace is great sorrow and grief. And are you willing to bear that to get to the other stuff? So Elijah says, here's what it means to be the prophet, Elisha. It means you have to withstand rejection by those around you, including those who claim to be with you. It means you have to resist inappropriate acclaim because there are going to be people who are going to be attracted to you because of the things you're going to say and you're going to do. And it means you have to be able to stand humbly before God. So Elijah takes Elisha on a series of journeys, and he says, you have to follow me to all of these places, and here's the test. You have to be willing to go where I go. You have to be willing to bear those same burdens. You have to be willing to risk hardship, and most of all, you have to be willing to receive and bear the word of God. Let me tell you, that portion of this passage has weighed on me like a ton of bricks this week. You have to be willing to bear the word of God. You have to be willing to listen to him. Elijah goes on to say, Elisha, to have intimacy with this God, to bear witness to him, it requires vulnerability. It requires a dependency on the mercy of God alone. Nothing that you could bring uh, provides this. Nothing in your own strength. It is the mercy of God alone. So this vulnerability, which, which can be difficulty, struggle, or challenge, is not an obstacle to overcome. And too often in our humanity, that's what we think, that, that, that the things that make us vulnerable, the things that expose us to hardship, the things that expose us to challenge, that, that they're tasks that we have to overcome in order to prove our faithfulness or God's faithfulness. And Elijah says, no, 
This vulnerability is not an obstacle to overcome, but it's a point of dependence to be embraced. This vulnerability is the gift of God to you. This is how God proves his faithfulness. To be like Elijah, to gain his mantle, is to be immersed in the challenges confronting God's people. To throw yourself on the mercy of God, to give voice to God's vision for a wholeness of life for both us and for the world to come. In our New Testament passage this week, we get just a handful of verses from Corinthians, but they serve as kind of a bookend to that 2 Kings passage. The 2 Kings passage is asking us, can we, can we bear the word of God? Can we be vulnerable in order to have intimacy with God? Are we willing to go where he goes? Are we willing to do the things that he did? Are we willing to experience the things that he experienced? But Paul in 2 Corinthians challenges us that the knowledge of God is not enough. But what we need is the glory of God. But what does that mean? You see, when we declare that Jesus is Lord, we are making not only a physical, human, political statement, but we are making a statement that unleashes the powers of this world. Because the enemy of our souls knows that when we make that declaration, we are coming for him. And so when we make that statement, we are putting our stake in the ground that says these powers are about to be defeated. And we possess that power through the Holy Spirit to defeat those things. So he will open up hell's gates against you when that happens. Are you prepared to bear the word of God? What overcomes these powers is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Both of them, the death and resurrection of Jesus. To have the glory of God is not just to have the knowledge of God. It is to enter into death and resurrection with Jesus himself. Jesus requires us as his followers to enter in to that death and resurrection it is a life characterized by suffering. It is a holy discomfort with this world, knowing that this is not really the place that we belong, that there's something about us as the people of God that's different. The gospel, as Paul articulates it here, is not just about the plan of salvation. And too often, that's where we leave it. We leave it as, this is my beloved son. We leave it as, as, Paul, or as Peter's declaration, this is, this is the Christ. We leave it there. We did, our, we did what we were supposed to do. But what we're being challenged here is not just about the plan of salvation. It is about the proclamation of the glory of God to bring wholeness, justice, abundance, peace, love, and life to the world in which we live. So let's go back to the transfiguration. The two questions being asked in that moment are who is Jesus and who are we? We learned what prophetic succession looked like. And in some ways, that's a little bit of what's happening here. I'll, I'll get to that in just a minute. But we're also seeing the glory of God on display, that it is a power that is beyond just what the powers of this earth can provide, that, that there's a there's another world in which God is operating 
and we're catching a glimpse. But there's another character, not just Elijah, who's there that day. Moses is also there. And this endorsement of Jesus' um, ministry, it's not unintentional that these are the two that God provides in this moment. Because both Elijah and Moses went to a mountaintop to find God. And in this situation, God, in the person of Jesus, goes to a mountaintop and convenes with Moses and Elijah. It's the endorsement of Jesus' ministry in the lives of these two men. It is the endorsement of the prophet Elijah, the call to repentance, the need for salvation, the calling the people of God back to himself. That's one side of who Jesus is. The other side is Moses, the the liberator, the freedom guy, the one who, who was willing to take his people out into a place where they had to wander and they had to search But it was the only place they were going to find freedom. It was the only place they were truly going to be free. And this is God's endorsement. He is my son, but he is also the one who will bring you salvation because he is my son. And he is my son, and he is going to free you from things that you will never be able to free yourself from. Those are the two coins to his ministry. Jesus had already been confessed as the Christ in human terms by Peter. But even Peter is confounded in this moment and, and wants, to, wants to stay right there on the mountaintop. Let's, let's, build a, let's build a temple. Let's build a tent. Let's build an altar. Let's, let's do something permanent so that we can come back to this mountain and experience this moment again. Transfiguration confirms that Jesus is the Son of God, but it also is God's affirmation of the way of the cross. They could not stay on that mountain. It was not there that they were supposed to remain. It is only the way of the cross that the law of the prophets and the the way of the law are fulfilled. Those two things together. Moses and Elijah's presence places Jesus' mission and identity and destiny in correlation to Elijah and Moses, but he's not just another coming of Elijah and Moses, which is actually what the people of Israel were looking for. He's more than that. He's more than that. What do we today do with this. If this is who Jesus is, and that's who his disciples were, who are we, and what do we play in this? As we who claim Christ as our Savior, we want those mountaintop experiences. I don't know if you grew up in the church like I did, but we went to camp, and we went to convention, and those were moments where the Holy Spirit made its presence known in such a way that you just wanted to stay there. And then you had to go back to school and you had to go back to life and it felt like such a letdown. We want those mountaintop experiences. We want to see the glory of God as, as, as Paul articulates in 2 Corinthians. We want to experience those revelations. 
We want what those below us at the bottom of the mountain can't see. We want the awe and the wonder to remain. But what we're not willing to confess is that like Peter, those experiences are also terrifying. Those are the places where we are made vulnerable. Those are the places where we are exposed. You see, the top of the mountain is actually dangerous for us as humans. The air is thin at the top of the mountain. The ground beneath us is unstable. We weren't created for the mountaintop. We were created for the valley below. Elijah and Moses both went to mountains, but they went to those mountains in times of trial. But they also descended the mountain. They descended the mountain to confront those powers and principalities that the world unleashed below them and on the people of God. And often, like Elijah, we want the double portion. We want all of the benefits that come with this Christian life. We want all of the freedom. We want all of the liberation. We want all of the blessing. We want everything that is good and right, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what we don't realize is what that costs. Because it's not free. It wasn't free for Elijah and Elisha, and it certainly wasn't free for Jesus. We want the high of the mountain experience. But what is being asked of us is are we willing to bear the word of God, who is Jesus? So to be a disciple, to enter into that prophetic succession as one of Jesus' followers, we have to accept the way of the cross. We are to walk in a way that provokes the powers of this world. And that's really uncomfortable. I want those powers and principalities to stay where they are. I want death. I want sickness. I want poverty. I want hardship. I want it all to stay away. But every time that I declare that Jesus is Lord, those powers and principalities are unleashed upon this world. But we have to refuse to play the world's game. And the world's game is this. It's domination. It's exploitation. It's greed. It's deception. We are to take up our cross and to love Jesus more than we love our own lives. We are to speak boldly and to publicly proclaim unashamed, confessing the name of Jesus. And we are to live a life that is one where Jesus will acknowledge us before his father. And if there is a weight in that, I don't know what is. I found myself weeping again this week as the story was confirmed of another pillar of the faith who had built a life that appeared to be one of holiness, that appeared to be one of righteousness, that was a cover for nothing but darkness and sin. And it's easy for me to want to make excuses and, and to make sure that people who don't know Jesus to understand that's not really the way of Jesus. But the reality is, 
is that all of us have the temptation that exists in our lives that says it's easy for me on Sunday to proclaim the name of Jesus. It's easy for me to go to my Christian workplace and proclaim the name of Jesus. It's easy here in the United States where I have certain rights and freedoms to proclaim the name of Jesus while I am living in darkness and sin because I can. Because it's one thing to proclaim the name of Jesus. It's another thing to live the way of the cross. It is another thing to bear the name of Jesus. And if we are not going to be tempted, not all of us are going to fall that deep. Not all of us are going to go to that level of abuse. But we're all susceptible to that temptation because we don't get to live on the mountaintop. We don't get to live in those liminal spaces. We have to live in the places where the powers of this world tempt us with fame and wealth and acclaim. And what was it that Elijah said? It's not just that you have to avoid sin. It's that you have to avoid the temptation of acclaim. Because when there is inappropriate acclaim, it becomes about us. It becomes about our ministry. It becomes about our Christianity. And that is not the way of the cross because Jesus could have had it all. He could have had it all. He could have called 10,000 angels down. He could have called the kingdoms beyond this earth to save this earth, and he didn't. He gave up himself so that you and I could see the defeat of the powers of this world only through death and resurrection. I don't want to just say that Jesus is Lord. I want at the end of my life to stand before Jesus and have him say, well done, well done. You believed me, you knew me, you listened to me. Bible teacher Beth Moore spoke a word of great conviction this week when she wrote that we really do not know the gospel. We know the plan of salvation but we don't know the good news. And Jesus is standing before us and he's weeping that my people do not know me. If we only claim Jesus on the mountaintop, when we only claim Jesus when he's standing before us, we don't know the way of Jesus. We have to be willing to go where he goes. We have to be able to bear the same burdens we must be willing to bear rejection. And we have to venture into solitude. This Christian life is one that's made up of community, but it's also a very alone life. And we have to be willing to enter into that as well. Here and only here will we truly know what it means to bear the word of God. And I don't know what's going on in the world outside of the one that we live in. But I just have this deep sense over the last few weeks, the messages that our guest David spoke to us, the messages that Brent, Brenton has been preaching and the rest of the team as we've been following the lectionary. But I've just had this heavy sense the last few weeks that the Lord is getting ready to do a work among his people. But it might not be the glorious work. It might not be the mountaintop work. It might not be the work that, that is emotional. What is being revealed 
is that we can't stay in that mountaintop place. What is being revealed is the time of choosing. Are we willing to go where he goes? Are we willing to bear the burdens that he's asking us to bear? Are we willing to face rejection? Because we've been to the mountaintop and we've seen the glory of God. We know that he is the son of God, but we also know that he calls us to repentance and he calls us to freedom. And if we're willing to walk in that, it will seem as if what God is calling us to is hardship, is judgment, is testing. But what's really happening is prophetic succession. What's really happening is Jesus is saying to his church, are you ready? Are you ready? Because I'm coming. And if you're not ready, when I come, it's not enough to say he is the Christ. You must also be willing to enter into death and resurrection. I don't know whether that time is tomorrow or it's 2,000 years from now. Because Peter and Paul and the members of the early church also thought that was their time. But here's what we learn in the Psalms. In the Psalm for today, we learn that God is an all-consuming fire. He is the fire that Moses first encountered on the mountaintop. He is the fire that consumes it all, but he's not going to burn us up. He is the one who will bring judgment but it's not judgment because it's punishment. It's judgment because he loves us so much. It's not just that he's calling us back to himself, but it's that he's saying, the world needs you. You are my witnesses. And so we turn to the psalm and we say, you all-consuming fire, you are the Christ the son of the living God, who has come to judge the living and the dead. To know him is to be consumed by him. It is to listen to him. And so that's our challenge for this week. Many of us know him. And if you don't, I would love to introduce you to him because he is good. And he is faithful. He is all of the things that we sang about this morning. But I will also challenge us. Are we ready for the way of the cross? Are we ready to listen to him? I think the worship team is coming back up for one more song. And then we will uh, pray a prayer of blessing over you today. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at refugechurchoc. We hope to see you again soon.